Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me. And now that the free agent fervor has died down a little bit, I want to take a look back at all the deals that went down, some of the stuff that didn't with a couple of guys that have been around this league a long time. Start with Billy King, the former general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers. I talked to Billy about the Paul George trade with Indiana. What happened from the Pacers' perspective? Should they have waited? And what about Gordon Hayward going to Boston? What does that mean for the Celtics moving forward? A little bit later on, Vinny Del Negro, the former coach of the Bulls and Clippers, he drops by. We talk about the fit of Chris Paul and James Harden playing together, Russell Westbrook and Paul George as well. A lot to get to with those two guys. So it's going to be a good podcast. Glad you could join me. Let's go. Joining me first on the pod, Billy King, the former general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers, doing great work now as an analyst over on NBA TV. And uh, Billy, kind enough to join me here on the podcast. How you doing, Billy? I'm doing good. Yourself? I want to give you an opportunity here, Billy, as you know the the resident Duke defender to <laughs> no, just to you know, I, I you I want to give you a chance to to lavish some praise here on Jason Tatum, who I, I've I've watched play in the Salt Lake Summer League and. Look, I was skeptical of the trade that that flipped the first and third pick. I still think the jury's out because I've also watched Markel Fultz, and I think he's got great body control, and I think he can be a real superstar at that one position. But I tell you what, Tatum Tatum can play, and he's going to be able to score in this league at, at multiple positions, I think. Well, the, the one thing I liked about him, and I saw him play quite a bit at Duke, is his, his length uh, and his ability to ISO with the basketball if need be. He can make a... St- you know, three, and I think his shot will get better work with Brad and his staff. I just think he had a, a basketball body built for the NBA, uh, especially where the game is now. I think he can play. I think he'll end up being a very good four um, 
for them. Um, but, you know, if you look at the trade, I think it would work for both. I think Sixers needed more of a Marco Fultz, and I think that Boston needed a Tatum, and I think that he is going to fit ideally playing with Isaiah and you know playing with Jalen Brown. I just think nowadays you've got to have guys six nine, six eight, long arms and with length that can stretch the floor. Because if you watch in the finals, most of the time that's what was out there. You know, Draymond may have been the biggest guy on one team, and Tristan Thompson on the other team. So you've got to have versatility. And I think I just I just believe in Tatum, and I, I you know this is not my Duke bias. I just think he has a chance to be the best player in the draft. You know, when I watched him in the ACC tournament, and that was really the first time that I sat down and, and watched him play a bunch of games, it was a good time to watch him because he was awesome in the ACC tournament. I, I looked at him, Billy, and and I saw kind of a Carmelo Anthony type of player to him, just with the way he was able to score. Not Carmelo now, but Carmelo at Syracuse, just getting where he wanted to get, uh, playing kind of an NBA pro style. Is that, I mean, is, is that too far to go with the Carmelo comparison? It's not, you know, I saw them, they played uh, Florida State at Duke, and there was a stretches where they just came down the, the court, and you don't see this a lot in college, but they just gave him the ball and isolated, and yeah. he scored like four or five straight trips down the court. And, you know, and then you're talking about guys that he was playing against that are going to be in the NBA. They're, they're, they were drafted in the lottery. So, to me, that's what, he, that's what he does. I think he, you know, Carmelo Anthony of young, yes, I think he has that ability, but, uh, but, but, I, I think if Carmelo came in, then you probably could say, yeah, he could be a stretch forward. But when he came in, the power forward was a much bigger position. But uh, I think now that you know guys like Tatum are can be a stretch forward right away. Yeah, he it gives Boston another interesting young player uh, on that roster. But let's, let's stick with Boston for a second and the Gordon Hayward uh, acquisition. Um, you know, before we get to Hayward, how he fits with the Celtics, you know, Boston right now, as we record this podcast on on Thursday morning. They're they're scrambling to try to find uh, some money to to enough money to pay uh, Gordon Hayward the full max deal that they offered him. They're canvassing the league at this point, looking for takers or at least offers for Jay Crowder, uh, Avery Bradley, and, and Marcus Smart. If you're if you were dealing with Boston in this moment, uh, I mean, how, would you hold them over the barrel to some degree because you know they have to deal one of these guys to create room, or or how, what would the negotiating tactic be? with the Celtics if they were knowing what they have to do to clear this space? Well, the teams that they're dealing with who have space, they're going to want something for it, you know, because they know Boston has to make a deal. So they're going to hold out because, you know, Boston has got the commitment from Haywood, so they're going to do everything they can to try to, you know, extrapolate anything they can from them um, because those teams have nothing to gain, even though you're talking about good players, but they feel, hey, we're helping you get a better player. And so you've got to do something for us. So knowing those teams that are out there, I think they're going to they're going to sit back and wait and say, "You got to give us something to take these guys on." So what did you think of the deal? Uh, you know, Boston getting Hayward, obviously an upgrade. All they're giving up is is money. But how much better did will do you think Gordon Hayward make the Celtics? Well, he he gives them a, a, a very smart basketball player that can handle the ball. Uh, I think a big guy to be able to create for Isaiah. And he can make a shot, uh, understands Brad. And the one thing that out of all of this that I think makes Boston, helps Boston, is they have Brad Stevens. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in this league. And, you know, I I was the one said I'm not sure if Hayward should go there just because, you know, Isaiah was the main part of the offense. But I think that's what Brad did, figured if we're going to score, i got to put the ball in his hands. I think now it's incumbent on Isaiah to realize, okay, I have – Gordon Hayward. Now I've got to share the basketball, and by sharing is not 
figure oh, I'm going to get all the shots in the fourth quarter. So, but that that gives up another guy in the fourth quarter that can score. The other guys were very good, but they weren't able to score like Gordon Hayward would be able to score on his own, create a shot for others, uh, knock down the three consistently. Um, so I, I think it's a it's a good fit if Isaiah and the rest of the guys are willing to understand that the offense got to change a little bit. Yeah, and I think it. in addition to that, it gives Danny a chance to be more judicious with making a deal. Now, he doesn't have to go out right away and find that big man or, or find that next piece, but I think he can wait and sit back and see who kind of emerges. Uh, because right now, I don't, I don't think, and you can tell me if you feel differently, I don't, I don't see an obvious you know, trade candidate. I, I think you, know, you might have to wait till midseason before uh, somebody becomes truly available and you can make a deal. But I think Boston could sit back because, you know, you and I both know, I mean, they, if Boston wants to get somebody, they can probably get them. It just depends on how deep into the well of, uh, of players and picks that they, they choose to go. Uh, but I think by midseason, we could see the Celtics uh, sort of cherry pick uh, the next player that's potentially available and, and, and add to this mix. Well, if you look at the patience that Danny has really had in, in, in trying to make deals, he tried to make deals, but he, he, he waited for the deal that fit them and so now I don't think that I think you're right I don't think they need to rush and I, I said that I know people were critical because they didn't get uh Paul George and you know all these assets you know I said why is everybody panicking I said they had the best record in the east they mm-hmm. got to the conference finals probably sooner than they expected so there's not you know they're going to be a good team next year there was no pressure on them they had to get Paul George Paul George would have been a great get and add Gordon Haywood but now I think they sit back, relax, and and let this team you know play because you have you have Horford, you have Haywood, you have Isaiah Thomas. You've got three veteran guys that are, you know all star players that know know how to win. And now let the, you got to integrate the young guys in because you don't want those guys sitting too long and not get the experience. So when they do get to the playoffs next season, those guys have that experience in games. I thought they did a great job with Jalen Brown because he was able to play. Uh, once the playoffs got there, they got to now do it with Tatum and Brown, and so when they get to the playoffs, these guys are ready to go, and it's not they're not scared when they get out there. I agree with you from from Boston's perspective, though, and not to ask you to pile on one of your uh, former peers out there, but I still I still don't know what Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers were thinking. I, I don't I don't understand what the rush was. It's not like that. Oladipo Sabonis offer was all of a sudden going to vanish. The, I I believe that offer was always going to be there, and I just feel like Billy that w- when you get to this point, and Boston has that firm commitment from Gordon Hayward, there would have been I think a better offer from the Celtics, and I think the Celtics would be somewhat more emboldened about the, their chances of retaining Paul George long term, having sort of a quasi super team for him to to suddenly join. I just don't I. I as more time passes, I can't wrap my head around the sense of urgency Indiana had to make that deal. And that's the one thing. You don't know what takes place within the the meetings with ownership and Larry Burden is still a consultant there. It may be, hey, we want to start fresh. We don't want to go into training camp with a guy that doesn't want to be here. Our fan base don't you know, realize he doesn't want to be here. So maybe let's get the deal done. <clears throat> let's send him out west so we're not facing – a Boston team with him and Gordon Haywood that we can, you know, takes it even harder to overcome. Uh, let's do the best deal we can get out west and move on, uh, so we can start the season off knowing this is our team and we can sell it to our fan base and, and build and go forward. Yeah, but w- wouldn't you have 
wanted to see what the Celtics would have offered. I mean, it's yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, waiting you, a week. Yeah, you could have waited a week, and 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 knowing and dealing with Sam Presti, that deal may not have been there. Sam may have said, "Hey, if we don't do this now, it's not going to be here come July." Uh, and and I and Sam and Sam is one when he says that he'll move on and go to something else. So um, if you look at the history of Sam, if you've dealt with Sam, he says you know we do this now or it's not going to be here, and it, it does disappear with Sam. Uh, he's a man of his word when he says it's not going to be there. So uh, they could have waited, and in Boston, if they didn't get Gord Hayward, they may say, okay, you know what, we're not going to give you as much, and now there's what do they get? So. I always go back to everybody killed Memphis when they traded Paul Gasol to the Lakers and saying they just gave him away, whatever. And they ended up with Marc Gasol, who was a pretty good player for them. So I think you got to wait, see how it unfolds, see what the players do for Indiana. Right now on paper, it doesn't look like you know it's good, but you never know. Sounds like you're speaking from uh, experience there with the Oklahoma City talks, perhaps in the <laughs> uh, the uh, Lopez-Brook variety uh, conversation. Well, I mean, there was a, in a lot of deals with Sam. Sam will put deadlines there, and and, and he moves on and, and goes to something else. Yes, you know it's uh, he's not one to revisit things once he says he's not going to. I don't know, man. I would have called his bluff. I it, I just think Indiana goes back to him and says, "Okay, we'll do George for Oladipo Sabonis." I I can't fathom. And you're right about about the the Gasol part of it. Like with with Market, I I would have been okay if there was like a, a, a another a foreign player attached from the second round or <laughs> or some kind of draft pick. I I just you know Oladipo is. Is a good player, but he's making a, a shitload of money, and, yeah. and and Sabonis is has I think has more of an upside, and, and he could turn out to be a, a, a quality starter uh, in this league. I just I, when you're you're in Indiana's position, I, I just feel like getting draft picks is 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 important, and and not getting any was was bizarre to me. Yeah, well, the, the one thing is if if they were to you know wait, and you know what if what if they didn't. They waited, and then all of a sudden Boston doesn't get Gordon Hayward. They say, okay, we're going to wait you out because you're going to have to trade him because it's going to come a point where you know he's leaving. And, you know, once you get in the season, people know, okay. And then Boston may say, we don't want to trade for him because he doesn't want to be here, so why would we give up anything because he's going to the Lakers? Because if you bring him in in January or December, you know, how, how quickly is it going to connect and is he going to be comfortable? So, you know, maybe he, he, he you know, goes to Boston or and Danny gives us a bunch and he leaves and now so I think Danny probably would have been even more patient to wait him out and mm. say, you know, at the end of the day I'll give you our first round pick for him because we know you gotta get we'll rent him for that for the rest of the season. And I tell you what too, uh, I know that Paul's made it clear that he'd like to play for the Lakers, but I, I like the deal for, for Oklahoma City because I you have to call his bluff to some degree. You have to say to uh, uh what's he gonna be like twenty eight next year a 28-year-old Paul George that you you know you, you can leave we'll put a max contract on the table you can walk away from it we'll be a 55 win team with the reigning MVP on our roster and and one of the better front offices uh, in the NBA and and you can leave but you're going to go and play with Monzo Ball Brandon Ingram and like the fifth worst team in the NBA next season and I, I don't know man I, I I just don't know if uh, as much as he might like want to play in in Southern California I don't know if he has the appetite to be on a team that could be that bad uh, when he steps onto it, well, from Oklahoma City's standpoint, I think it was a great trade in the sense of you gave up Oladipo, so one you get off that contract, and you gave up Sabonis, so that's like a, a first round pick, so to say, right. a, a rookie. And if Paul George leaves, you're off of Oladipo's money, and so now financially you're better off. And so 
I, you know, they'd have, and I think that's why they didn't throw picks in because of the chance that he may leave. And so, Sam, why am I, I'll give you Sabonis. He can be your first, equivalent of a first-round pick. And I'll give you Oladipo because we've got to make the money match, and he's an Indiana guy, and, but I can't give you anything else. And so for them, it's a low-risk, uh, high-reward. Sounds like the Pacers are like in that, that fight to be the god-awful eight seed in the East this year. What, what do you think, like 35 wins in the East gets you into the playoffs next year? It could. It really could. Yeah. And, and I think that's a little bit of the Gordon Haywood looking at it, not just the fact of playing in Boston, playing with you know for Brad Stevens, but also if you look hey, in the West, we barely made the playoffs last year as the eighth seed. Okay, the Clippers maybe fall back, but their other teams are so strong. And the thing about it is every you got to play Golden State four times. You've got to mm-hmm. play Houston four times, San Antonio four times. Um, so you know, so you're you're banging your head in Portland four times. You come to the East, you have some nights where you know you can rest a little bit, and mm-hmm. you may not have to play, you know, or you can get up by big. So, and if you want to make the All Star team, it's a lot easier in the East than it is in the West now. Oh, this I agree with you. To me, and I know people in Utah are, are angry, and I, and I understand that completely. But th- this was a no brainer. Uh, you go East, you're you know all, almost an automatic conference finalist. You have a chance to start the All-Star game, much less make it, but start the All-Star game next year and every year that you're in Boston. Plus, you're playing for Brad Stevens. I mean, I don't. I know people are calling him soft out in Utah, and you don't want to stick with the team that, that, that drafted you and, and helped develop you, but if you're... And, and I found this, Billy. Maybe you can, you can tell me if, if you agree that when guys hit this certain age at that sec, end of that second contract, they, they start seeing their, their kind of basketball mortality, and they start to look at maybe the... The, the potential, at least the end of their prime and to some degree the end of their career. And, you know, I think Gordon Hayward, part of it was he looked at this and said, you know, this is this is going to be more fun. Like, this is going to be more, uh, you know, a better experience for me over the next three years in every possible way than Utah could be. Well, yeah, and I think, it, I think guys now, like, the money is so big that, you know, to leave that money on the table for that extra year, it's it's not life-changing. It's, yeah, it's maybe for your grandkids life-changing, but it's not mm-hmm. for them immediately. And so I think players that second, if you look at Chris Bosh in Toronto, he left after that second contract. Uh, you look at, you know, Gordon Haywood now, he leaves after that second contract. Guys are looking at, okay, what's the best basketball place for me to win? Because the money, I'm going to be well, really wealthy no matter what. So where is the best place for me to win? And that's what guys are now. They're making basketball decisions, not like, okay, i got to stay here because it's the most amount of money. It's, where it's what's best for me going forward. And it's, it's a four-year deal well, he, he get a, you know, with an opt-out. So yeah. if things don't work, he can opt out, and he's still young enough to go get another deal. So um, the one thing when the league shortened the contracts, I think it allowed guys to really think about when it went from seven years when I was there six to down to four and five, guys can look at it and say, Okay, it's four years to get it out. Okay, I'm there three years, and I can, if it doesn't work, I can leave and go someplace. And the one thing that's different in free agency now is the media. When I first came in the league in Indiana, I mean Indiana in '93, there wasn't social media. There wasn't, you know, all this on the internet and things like that. So, so players really focused. They knew what their home team was about. They didn't know much was going on other teams. Now with everything, with Instagram, Snapchat, all this stuff. They know what's going on in every city in the country, all 30 NBA teams. And so, and the players talk more and, and are closer. So they recruit all, nonstop. And they, when they go on these trips and all-star games, they talk about what they do, what the team does, what they travel. There's a lot of things that teams do that 
the league uh, sort of turns their eye to under the cap with from meals when the team travels and breakfasts and different things that some teams just don't do. And that's something I think if the league wants to look at and say, well, what's the difference? If they just looked at what teams do from little things, the breakfasts on the road, plus the per diems and things like that, that some teams just don't do. That's interesting because, yeah, I got a couple of texts from uh, small market team executives uh, after the Gordon Hayward uh, situation unfolded that, you know, just frustrated by, you know, another marquee player going from small market to big market. Now, I, I mean, look, I, I grew up in Boston. It's not exactly this free agent bastion. Guys don't just roll through Boston as free agents because they want to go there. I mean, it's, it just doesn't kind of work that way. But, you know, beyond what you were just talking about, I mean, is there anything the league can do? Because we've seen Oklahoma City get hammered by the CBA rules uh, at times. Uh, Utah, to some degree, gets hammered by it, too. Because Gordon Hayward, no matter what was happening, uh, unless he had a catastrophic injury, he's opting out after year three. Because we know the rules. Ten years in the league, different type of contract that you can get uh, uh, on, on a max deal. Is there anything the league can do as they they move forward and start to, to, to try to level the playing field that that makes sense to, to try to keep some of these players where they are? Well, I mean, the one thing they may want to look at is, you know, if, if Utah could have offered him the five-year max extension maybe during the, during the season and say, all right, here's it, mm. you know, we'll just give you the five-year max now because we believe in you. And make it up to him that's to make that decision. If he's going to turn it down then, then you know, okay, we may have to trade him because he's not willing to commit to us. Uh, and maybe that gives it, that home team a little bit more of an advantage where, you know, I know they have the super maxes and things like that, but I just think with where the money is and how big it is, I think small markets are going to continue to get hammered just because of the fact of when he went to Boston, not that this was a factor, you know, he goes to see the Red Sox. And so yeah. now he has a chance to talk to those players or see the fan support. You know, now they have, you know, last year was Tom Brady met with Durant. Yeah, Oklahoma City doesn't have that. Utah doesn't have that. And that's the advantage that some of those big market teams are just going to have because they have assets that small markets don't have. And I think it's good. with the money where it's at, I think small markets are going to continue to struggle just because the bigger cities can offer more lifestyle for their family and different things that they just don't have in the small markets. And hey, I, I coached in Indiana and loved it there, and I still have an affection for them. And I think some of these places, I think Oklahoma City has great fan support. But when it comes down to it, players will end up choosing these bigger cities just because of there's more to offer. And it's unfortunate. Uh, and I think you've got to, the league's got to figure out how to give these teams more tools to lock them up before they become free agents. And I know the agents don't want to hear that, mm-hmm. but if, they, if they're getting rewarded financially, then they, you know, then they, they you're getting rewarded financially early, so it's a tough decision you got to make. But they've got to give these teams, small markets, more tools to lock them up before they get to free agency, and then leave it up to the player to walk away at that point from the money. That's a great point because if he does, if he did turn down a five-year extension in February, I mean, or before February, then yeah. I think the Jazz would have been proactive uh, in trying to make a deal uh, then. All right, let me um, let me ask you and one little point on that. And that's yeah. one thing. I worked for Donnie Walsh, and that's one thing he did back then. He would try to sign guys to an extension. And in the end, and this is back in 93 under the old rules, before they became free agents, because he said it may overpay a little bit, 
I remember he signed Rick Smith to a, a deal that everybody thought was a crazy deal, and Rick accepted it, and Rick played into the contract. But Donnie said, I couldn't allow these guys to get, become free agents because once they do, the, the chance of them leaving it may be there. Mm-hmm. So he would overpay a little bit more to get them locked up, and they stayed. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought maybe the league will think about that as they try to fix this thing moving forward. Um, going from a team with you know first world problems, Cleveland right now, the third uh, third straight year in the finals, but you know a little bit chaotic at the moment with Chauncey Billups turning down uh, the executive or the vice or the president of basketball operations uh, position there. I mean, from the outside, Billy, you look at that and you say, I mean, things must be a little messy right now in Cleveland if a a a executive novice, a guy that's never done this before, Chauncey is turning down uh, a position like that. What did you make of, of of Chauncey's decision to do that, and and just your your read on what's happening in Cleveland right now? Well, I, I think that you know Chauncey looked at it and said, "Okay, I know Dan Gilbert, I know Cleveland uh, reports for that, about the money. I'm not sure, don't want to get in that, but I think he knows that at some point, if he interviewed Atlanta, Cleveland offered him a job." Hey, the opportunity's going to come. Uh, there's no rush. I'm young enough, and I can keep gaining more experience and knowledge just from doing TV and talking to different people. And I'll wait to pick the the right situation because he's going in a situation. Even though he's friends with Turnlu, you have a coach in place, you have a team in place. There's not much he can do to you know go into it and say. And then the expectation is you got to get to the finals and you got to win right away. So you're not walking into a place where you can say, okay, I can build this up and hire my own staff, hire my own coach. Um, so I think he's going to wait probably for the perfect opportunity. Um, and from Cleveland's standpoint, I think Dan Gilbert, that's the guy he wanted um, because he went after him and made an offer. It didn't work. And now he's got to realize, look at it and say, okay, what's best for our organization going forward? You know, Do I need a basketball operation? Do I, do I just need a GM? and Or do I just promote from within and let them do it, which like he did with uh, Griff? Um but I think they've got to make a decision because agents and everybody are looking out there from the outset and who's going to be in charge, who's going to be here next year, who's going to be here the following year uh, going forward uh, because there's all this uncertainty. Is LeBron leaving? Is uh, So you've got to try to you know, let the agents know, especially what's going on out there, and so they all understand, okay, this is who's in charge. Okay, now we can go forward and do deals. You think Gilbert's playing with fire here a little bit because – you know, look, the, the GM doesn't take the floor, and, and LeBron's got his team, he's got his coach, he's got uh, everything he needs to get back to the finals right now. But I would think that any little sign of instability w- would not be a good thing uh, for the Cavs as they uh, head into LeBron's free agency year. Well, I mean, whoever gets that job, you know, one of the first meetings you have to have is with LeBron. Not that he's the you know, pseudo-GM, but just have a meeting with him and say, okay, you know, let, let me get your thoughts of, of the things that have been going on here, uh, going forward, and, and that from the past. And then let me tell you what my thoughts are uh, going forward. How I think we can continue to win, and how we can continue to build this and keep it special, um, and develop a relationship. I think you have to have a relationship with your players, um, and you have to have a relationship with the coach. But I would spend time talking to LeBron. Then I would talk to Tristan Thompson. I would talk to all the players. And just find out from their point of view what they've liked about the organization, what they have not liked about the organization, and then you know, and have go forward with a plan. Okay, this is what, you know how we're going to go forward and continue to build because culture is ultimately important. And if everybody understands, hey, we're all in this together. They still got a good team, but there's something that's amiss there. 
you know, when you lose your GM after three years, there's talk LeBron maybe maybe leave it or not. You know, this it's coming from somewhere. So you've got to try to put all that to rest and say, hey, we're we're a family. We're going to keep this in and we're going to work together. All right, before I let you go, um, I want to ask you about the the bottom half of the NBA right now because we've seen a couple of teams over the last couple of weeks make decisions that uh, largely means they're going to be bad and they're intending to be bad uh, next year. And I want to ask you about one that's once again pretty pretty overt here, and that's Phoenix. With you know the Suns, they 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 took a flyer on on Paul Millsap. They let, they tried to get in on Blake Griffin, but after those two things failed. They just decided that they're you know going to go all in on on a, a total rebuilding job there. I, I mean, I get it that you're not going to be competitive in a Western Conference that's really tough, but I don't know, Billy. Like if you're Ryan McDonough, this just strikes me as almost career suicide there, or at least Phoenix Sun career suicide. That you 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 do this and you make these moves and you're you're basically establishing that you're going to be like a 20 win team this year. What do you think of the? what the Suns have, have kind of decided to do right now? Well, you, you don't know if that's direction getting from ownership. So uh, I think, you know, ownership gives you direction and you try to execute the plan. So I think that's the only choice they have right now is to try to rebuild because it, there's nothing they can do at this point to try to overtake some of those teams in the West. So I think they've got to just rebuild and rebuild slowly and, and have confidence the owner is backing you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be an ugly year in Phoenix, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to be pretty. It could be. <laughs> well, Billy, I always appreciate it, man. Thanks for uh, taking some time to join me here on the podcast. You're welcome. You're welcome. Take care, and I'll be following you on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Billy. Right. My thanks to Billy King for joining the pod. Up next, my conversation with former Bulls and Clippers coach Vinny Del Negro. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Joining me on the pod now is a former NBA coach, NBA analyst with NBA TV, Vinny Del Negro, uh, kind enough to join me here. Vinny, how are you? I'm doing great, bud. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, just uh, trying to get through this free agency period. Before I get to some of the stuff that, that I want to dive into, just as a, as a coach, how stressful is this time of year, especially when you have uh, significant free agents that are making decisions? Well, there is a, a level of I don't know if it's stress, but anxiety in that sense because you want to know what your team is going to look like. But, um, you know, every situation is different. Um, every situation is run a little bit different, and who's running it. So um, ownerships are different. But at the end of the day, as a coach, obviously you want as much talent and as much chemistry on the team and as much continuity as you can keep, depending on uh, the level of success you've had. Whether you need to make a lot of changes. Um, you know, there's injuries that are involved. There's obviously uh, short-term contracts, long-term contracts, veteran minimums. There's a lot of things. There's exceptions. So a lot of things go into it to make all the numbers work and to put the team out there that you feel gives you the best chance. I, I want to get into a bunch of stuff, including Gordon Hayward going to Boston. But, you know, what do you think the guy like Quinn Snyder is feeling right now? Uh, you know, having a guy that he kind of nurtured to this all-star level uh, decide he wants to play somewhere else. Well, circumstances, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, Brad was obviously uh, Gordon's a college coach. They have a connection there. They've known each other. Um, you know, at that age, kids are very impressionable, and obviously, they have a tremendous relationship, and he feels comfortable. But you know, uh, it, it happens. It's part of the business. Uh, is it fair all the time? Of course not. But um, 
you know, Utah was, was heading in the right direction, had taken their growing pains the last few seasons, and last year kind of took a step up, and now we're going to see how they're going to handle uh, the, the loss of their all-star. So never easy to lose a talented player like that, but you, know, uh, you have to get back in the chair, get back on the court, start putting your uh, things together with the, the team that is constructed and, and figure out a way. I mean, no one's going to feel sorry for you. Um, it's just part of the business, and you, and you move on. I want to get into Hayward in a few minutes and what he means to the Celtics, but I want to start with something that happened over the weekend, and that's uh, uh, Paul George going to Oklahoma City to play alongside Russell Westbrook a year after uh, Kevin Durant defects. They get another you know, MVP-level all-star uh, player uh, in Paul George. When you look at, at, first off, the fit of Paul George alongside Russell Westbrook, how do you see these two guys playing together in that Billy Donovan system? Well, I mean, Paul is a star player. I mean, we know that. I mean, he can take over games. Uh, you know, we know how dominant Westbrook can be at times. So they're going to figure have to figure out a way to incorporate that, um, which they will. I mean, uh, you know, now, you know, the top players are trying to, you know, get together and, and give themselves the best chance uh, to win because they see what other teams are doing. So um, I was a little surprised that he went to Oklahoma City from the standpoint of, of the deal, but um at the end of the day you know um you know paul's going to be a free agent and we'll see if he's very comfortable in oklahoma city or if he wants to move on and get the long-term deal and things so a lot of variables but they'll figure it out guys figure it out i mean they're too good of players um you know billy will will put him in an area where you know paul feels comfortable obviously westbrook's going to have the ball a lot uh you know paul's going to have the ball a lot they'll figure it out and it's the same way with other teams. You know, everyone always says, well, how oh, there's not enough balls or not. There is. You just have to put them in a system where guys are in their comfort zone. And, and you know, guys like the ball in certain areas of the court, um, preferably in, in, in some cases. And Paul is no different. So they'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, but it's, there's going to be a learning curve. There always is from a personality standpoint, from, you know, a, a, you know, a terminology standpoint. And that takes a little bit of time. But they're veteran guys, and especially a Paul uh, Paul George level player um, is not going to have an issue. He's a he's a basketball player. Put him on the court and let's figure it out. You know, one of the things that I think is a variable here, Vinny, is is the development of Stephen Adams. When I look at Adams, yeah. I see a guy that I think can average like eighteen a game, and and I think he can be a low post scorer. And I don't know what you saw in him last year, but I, I don't know if I I didn't see the development. I didn't see that next step. And and look, that may have a lot to do with the fact that Kevin Durant wasn't there, and there's more pressure on him. Uh, underneath the rim as, as guys sort of just drop down and they don't fear any of those outside shooters. But I feel like Paul George's presence and maybe a more concerted effort on the part of Westbrook and George to get Adams involved, I, I think he could be that third guy. I, I think he has the talent uh, to be that that you know that inside threat to complement those two outside guys. No, I agree. I think the difference last year for him, especially without Kevin, the spacing wasn't as good. And I think with Paul, the spacing will be better which will give guys more lanes to drive, which will be dump-off passes. We know how big and strong Steven is. He can finish around the rim, get to the free-throw line. Uh, you know, um, it's not a post-up game, but maybe they can get him some early post-ups in transition, some easy baskets that way. Um, but I've seen improvement. Every year he's gotten better. Last year, I think, was a little bit different because of the season Westbrook had, and they were trying to figure out after playing with Durant for so many years how it's all going to work. Um, I think they'll be more comfortable this year. And then when you had Paul, like I said, the spacing and the ability to finish games out um, and not put everything on Westbrook, um, you know, obviously will give them a shot in the arm. But the spacing for big guys 
getting them easy ones around the rim, on the break, early transition, post-ups. I think Steven Adams definitely can, can, can improve in those areas, and I think he will. All right, so let's talk about Gordon Hayward and him going east to Boston. Uh, the Celtics, yeah. they prioritized him. Uh, you know, they wanted Paul George, they wanted Jimmy Butler, but they really, really wanted uh, Gordon Hayward. They just believe out there that he is a guy that, you know, the, the, the catch-and-shoot skills – uh, the the playoff, the dribble, the athleticism, you know, obviously the Brad Stevens connection. He was the perfect fit uh, for this team. And I'll tell you, Vinny, uh, I think Brad Ste- I, I think Gordon Hayward is it, it represents at least a seven win improvement. I think he is he makes them a sixty win team next year if everybody stays healthy. Because I look at at Hayward replacing Jay Crowder, and I watched a lot of those Celtic games. I was in Boston a lot for them, and Jay Crowder could get hot from the outside. But he missed a lot of shots. I mean, he he's a streaky shooter from three-point range yeah. and a streaky offensive player in general. Gordon Hayward's not. Gordon Hayward is an extremely efficient offensive player. And just by giving Gordon Hayward Jay Crowder shots, I think that's a seven-win improvement. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're 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 on Cleveland's level, but man, they're I think they're at least the one seat again next year, given what we know about the Cavaliers. I you know I. It's hard to dispute that. I mean, Gordon Haywood is a fantastic player, averages over 20 points, but he can take you off the dribble. He's more athletic than you think, uh, sneaky athletic. He's got good size. He can switch pick and rolls for you. So, yeah, I mean, when you have a chance to add a, a high-level quality player like that in the prime of his career, I mean, that's a big shot in the arm for your organization. So I expect him – there'll be obviously a, a great relationship between coach and him. He'll understand – how things are going to be run. He'll fit in easily, I think, with the chemistry of that team. Um, The guys know there how important he is. He knows how important he is. But at the end of the day, we're going to lose as a team. So finding a niche for him that he's comfortable with, where they want to play, but he's going to knock shots down. He's going to score the basketball because he has versatility. Um, He can score on the break. He can score in the post. If you put a small guy in him, he can jump over him. So, yeah, I mean, he's a dynamic player. He's an all-star for a reason, and um, he's just coming into the prime of his career, so a perfect time for the Celtics to get him. You know, you mentioned the post, and I think that's where he's going to be a big weapon because if you look at the way Boston's played under Brad Stevens, sure. you know, their bigs are floor spacers. You know, it's it's Olenek right. and it's Horford and, and even Jared Sullinger before then. They like to play through their guards in the post. Marcus Smart, last couple of years before that, Evan yeah. Turner was a big post guy. I don't, I, you know, Utah didn't, didn't necessarily need Gordon Hayward to be a post player as, as often as as he could be, but I think Brad Stevens is going to exploit him in the post. I think you'll see that, you know, six, eight athletic frame going up against six, five, six, six, you know, guards and swing men and, and really being an asset to the, to the Celtics. Well, and he's a willing passer and he's a good passer. So at the end of the day, like you said, when you have bigs that can space the floor, where are you coming from the double team? If you're going to come off the big from a double team, you got another big on the weak side rotating and now, you know, that's what you want. You want teams rotating and closing out and things, and now you can attack off the dribble. But Haywood's going to score the basketball, whether it's in the post or anywhere. But it's an area where the Celtics now, like you said, with their post-up guards, they can slow the tempo down against certain teams if they need be, if they see a matchup, especially when they're in the penalty. And they can back, you know, Gordon Haywood can take somebody in the post off a set, a screen, not a lot of body contact, get the basketball, and now – now he, you're at, you know, he's at your, you know, you're at his mercy because he's going to jump over you, he's going to go by you, especially if you're in the penalty. And if you come off a big, he's going to be a willing passer and move the basketball and make the game easier on the weak side. You know, I wonder now though exactly how big a problem it is that they don't have a lot of size up front. I mean, right now it's it's Al Horford and 
you know, cross yeah. your fingers and hope Ante Zizic turns into a a decent player, rotation player, and and that that would scare me a little bit, Vinny. That that you're you're looking yeah. at a front line that's been completely decimated by all these offseason moves. You know, and and we went into the playoffs in last season saying, you know, the Celtics are you know vulnerable on the on the on the glass and things like that. I think the only time you really saw it was against Cleveland, um, you know, with Tristan Thompson and things. So. You know, at the end of the day, the East is not nearly as difficult as we know that. Cleveland is is, is obviously uh, the head above people at times, how they'll take the regular season, how they'll play through that. Boston had a fantastic year last year. You know, you have those two teams, obviously Toronto. Um, but, you know, I just think Boston is going to kind of figure it out as they go with Haywood. They're going to have to get some more bigs. I think they need a little bit more length, but they have a lot of assets. They have a lot of moving parts, and, and Danny obviously is experienced and, and has gone through this for many years. So he knows what he's doing, and he'll get the, he'll figure it out as they go. But Gordon Haywood piece obviously is a big one moving forward. Yeah, and look, I, I think you're right. I think this is a chance for Boston to be opportunistic with all their assets right now. It, it's not exactly like they're playing with house money at the moment, but they probably know they're, they're, that Cleveland's still the class of the conference uh, sure. at this point, and, and they're a year or so away. But you know, I, I think, and I don't know who that guy is. I mean, I speculated in the column this week that Marcus Saul could become available at some point because I, I look at what Memphis is doing and what's going on down there. And, yeah, I mean, Zach Randolph goes, Tony Allen probably right behind him. Uh, they could be looking to move off a, a 32 year old player making uh, big money at this stage if they can get real assets back in return. But they, they've got to start looking for a big because you're, you know, look, you know, Cleveland, we don't know what's going to happen with LeBron, but. If, if he's around for the next few years, I mean, they're the obstacle. And if they're playing, able oh, to play yeah. bully, if they're able to play bully ball with you, and you can't match up with that, that's a problem. No matter how many skill position players you have. Oh, yeah. I mean, LeBron's at a whole nother level now. I mean, look at the. I mean, he's just he dominates uh, when he needs to dominate, and uh, he's one of the all-time greats. We know that. So, the, you know, uh, we've got some issues. They got so, you know. If, if, you know, Marcus Dahl's in Memphis. I hope he stays with Connolly. They're good buddies, and they've had great success there for them. But if you have an opportunity, you know, um, to, to go to Marcus Dahl, that puts you at a whole nother level. You're talking about one of the best bigs we have in the game. This is probably the best passing big or one of the best, and he's a dynamic player. He takes your team to the next level. That's how good he is. So um, we'll have to wait and see. There's a lot of moving parts. A lot of things are going on this year. We just got to let things settle down. Teams have to fill in the holes now after they've spent the majority of their money, and uh, you know, and we're going to see how they all pan out. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think there might be an opportunity for the Celtics to grab a, a bargain basement type of guy, but I wonder what happens with that front court as they uh, look ahead and look at Cleveland up front. But let's let's talk about Cleveland and and where they go from here. Uh, not a lot of movement this off season. They re-signed Cal Corver. They were trying to make a deal to get Paul George. That fell through. They've dangled Kevin Love. Uh, in some trade talks, as it seems like they always do. I mean, Kevin Love is perpetually uh, on the trade block. But, you know, is there is there a move out there that they can make? Or I guess in, in more of the sense of, of what they need to do to try to close the gap with Golden State, do you see a move that they, they should make, whether it's at a certain position or maybe to get more athletic or get more defensive-minded? Is there something they can do, you know, over the next couple of months that can close that gap that they're trying to close with Golden State? I mean Carmelo. I mean that that would be the only guy that I you think, think he helps in them. Terms of, I just think he's a player that can take pressure off LeBron and Kyrie, and you have to game plan for him, and you can isolate him, and he's a problem. I mean, 
he can take you off the dribble. He can score, you know. Um, so, I mean, you're not getting Paul George. You're not getting Gordon Hayward. You're not getting Jimmy Butler. You know, what other top-level player is out there? I mean, Carmelo's been a proven scorer in the league. Like I said, you have to game plan for him. He can switch. He can play in the post. You can play LeBron and Carmelo together. And Tristan, probably, now you have enough scoring on the floor. You have enough spacing on the floor um, with Kyrie and whoever else, or whoever Smith. But, you know, I'd have to look at it more. But, you know, um, other than, like, a deal you make, um, and they don't have a ton of assets from that standpoint, I don't think. So you either get buyout guys. Um, I mean, they're taxed. They're in the tax as a team. So they have some financial issues. So, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, getting back real quick to the, the Celtics thing, I know mm-hmm. they don't have bigs, but what's the league now? The league is one big and four smalls. And the Celtics, depending on who they have to move to get Haywood done, you know, Marcus Smart is a tough guy. Avery Bradley's a tough guy. Jay Crowder's a tough guy. We know Gordon can play, and he's a tough kid. So, you know, you got Horford. They could play one big, four smalls. They'll get beat on the glass a little bit, but their three-point shooting is going to improve, so they can play a point-minus game there. So a lot of teams are looking at this. You want to have bigs, but you want to have skilled bigs with versatility as well. And like you said before, the shooting bigs, the spacing bigs, obviously are a key for them. Yeah, they're they're big, and, and look, their guards are relentless. I mean, the guys you mentioned are, are very good rebounders. Yeah, they're tough. Yeah, at yeah, their position. I just, I just wonder if it's at some point now that they've reached this point where they've got multiple all stars. They've, you know, Al, add Al Horford to that mix. It's basically three all star level players. You start looking at, at 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 how you get out of the conference, and I don't know that you get out of the conference unless you can match up physically with Cleveland. I mean, you might be able to match them on a skill level, uh, maybe uh, that might be a stretch too at this point, but physically they are just completely overwhelmed and i don't know how I, I don't know how they close that gap Vinny, without adding some kind of significant player to keep thompson kevin love and others off the boards no i agree i mean you know, the physicality of those guys are is impressive but the x factor we all know is lebron and mm. this was you know, fantastic so um you can say what you want but yeah rebounding we know how important it is but the space and pace and this, you know, the pace and, and the space game now is, is so key, the three point shooting and things. So if you don't have the physicality of a front line like that, then obviously you got to find other ways to give yourself an opportunity to be successful. And, and maybe that's a, more of a spacing game. We know how tough Isaiah Thomas is. He's been fantastic. Uh, the physicality of their guards and small forwards. And now in a guy that is going to go get you at 20 points as well in, in Haywood, Maybe that's enough points to make off the differential of the lack of rebounding, but we'll wait and see. All right, let's look out west for a second with the deal that brought Chris Paul uh, over to the Rockets. I mean, Chris clearly wanted to play in Houston, wanted to play uh, with James Harden. Now you have two guys that are playmakers, you know, top five assist players in Harden and Chris Paul, but two guys that are used to having the ball in their hands for for a lot of the times. How do you think Mike D'Antoni handles that with these two uh, ball-dominant type of guards? Well, Mike is an experienced coach. He's done a fantastic job, and um, he's a good friend. So at the end of the day, they'll figure it out. I mean, they're both smart players. They're both, you know, uh, you know, perennial all-star players, the highest-level players we basically have in the league. Um, so there'll be a system where they'll want to play with pace. Um, they'll want to get the ball in those guys' hands at shot clock because they can create so well. There's going to be some sacrificing. There always is. But – you know, players are, you know, James and Chris are smart players. They'll figure it out, how they need to play to be successful, how they can help their teammates be better, um, get them easy, you know, whether it's Capella or any of these guys. I mean, they're going to make the game so much easier for them. 
you know, Chris will, you know, be the general out there at times and, and James will be too, because he's so effective in the pick and roll situation. But I just think it's, it's one of those things where they'll figure it out. And I think with Mike's system, the way he is, um, you know, he's very good offensively. So, um, they'll have sets where they can get some easy ones for both of them. They'll touch the ball. They'll get off the ball. And I think there's going to be some sacrifice, but both those guys will uh, get a lot of touches. Yeah, I, I think they'll figure it out too. Um, they're they're just yeah. too they're too skilled. And and I look at last year, and it looked to me like James Harden ran out of gas at the end of that season. I think a big part of that was there really wasn't a, a secondary ball handler there. I mean, Patrick Beverly is a good player, but he's a defensive-minded guy, makes some shots, but is not your traditional playmaker. I think having a, another primary ball handler is going to make Harden even stronger uh, towards the end of the season. But I'm curious, as you know, you, you know Chris Paul, a guy that is, is on his next... Con- well, the risk in the Rockets deal here is that they're probably going to give Chris Paul... Uh, a, a max level extension long term four five years whatever it is when this contract is 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 up at the end of next season that'll th- i know that the clippers were wary about paying chris paul you know at 37 years old 40 plus million dollars do, do you think chris paul is the kind of player that's going to age well i mean i know it's asking you to project a few years down the line but you know that to me would be the fear in in making a deal like this that you're paying a late 30s guard, you know, more money than you're paying anybody else on the team. Yeah, I mean, that, that thing, though, is is Chris is, is competitive. He loves to play. Um, you know, he can always be the general out there. I think what you said is going to be key. I think, you you know, Chris will be able to give Harden some rest. Harden will be able to give Chris some rest. You know, if Harden goes to the bench, Chris can be a little more aggressive offensively. Chris is on the bench. Harden will do his thing. So the efficiency numbers for them will be more key than anything. Um, and controlling their turnovers. So, um, but yeah, I mean, when you're paying guys that much money at that late in their you know stage of their career, hey, there's no crystal ball. How healthy are guys going to be? How effective are they going to be? Some are going to be more than others. Guys that are very uh, you know playing at a high level right now, they might not be playing at a high level. Guys that kind of are just kind of going into you know uh, you know getting into that age, maybe they play better than who knows the system where they're at. It's just really tough. But as a guard, I mean, if you look at the history of guards, they struggle more than the big guys, but the game is different now. There's not as many big guys. The post-up game isn't as important as the three-point shooting and being able to control. Who are the best teams? The best teams are obviously teams that have you know high-level guards or they have LeBron James. Um, so... Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. You know, you look in the you know, you look in the East, Isaiah Thomas is one of the best players, Kyrie Irving, um, you know, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, um, you know, the, the the list goes on and on. So it's hard to say. I mean, but you know, there's so much money out there. You know, if Chris really wanted to stay, I can't believe that uh, they wouldn't have figured out a deal. Um, but he felt maybe he wanted to go to Houston. I just can't believe they wouldn't give him the fifth year to keep him after the success they've had the last you know, five, six, seven years there with him there. Yeah, I, I think push comes to shove. They they probably would have given him the, the full max deal. Yeah. But I, I do think there's a sense, there was some sense of relief. You know, they wanted Chris Paul. They love Chris Paul. But there was some sense of relief. They didn't have to pay him at the back end uh, of that deal. All right, before I let you go, I want to ask you about maybe the, the one of the more interesting, you know, twosomes in the NBA. That's uh, down in New Orleans with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. Had about half a season together, mixed reviews. They put up some numbers. They didn't win a lot of games. Uh, now you have 
you know, basically the the I don't want to say the future of the organization, but it's it's a pretty significant year uh, for that organization. I mean, if if these two these two work, all of a sudden you've got a a, a dynamic, talented front court that can lead you into oh, yeah. the future. If they don't, you know, Cousins is probably gone, and, and who knows what Davis is going to want to do. Uh, at the end of the year, uh, just looking at these two and what you saw last year in the small sample size, how do you think they do together in a full season in New Orleans? Well, they're going to be better. We know that. Um, how are they going to play the high-low game? What is their exact style going to be? We know Alvin likes to get up and down the court, but Cousins is more of a plotter type of guy. Anthony likes the ball at the elbow. DeMarcus does. So they're going to have to figure out a system where both those guys get their touches like you said, they're dynamic scores. They're going to score with two guys on them. They're that talented. So, but what does the rest of the team look like? You know, I I know they signed Holiday. I think he's a quality player. But what else is around those guys? They're going to have enough spacing, shooting. What's their health going to be like? But really, it's going to boil down to how those guys are used in the system, how effective they are, because the offense is going to run through those guys. The offense is going to run through Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins, whether it's a high-low at the elbow, some type of dribble handoff things, obviously early post-ups for those guys. Then there'll be the pick-and-roll things because you can space both of them because one or the other can be in the pick-and-roll diving and the other one can space because they both can shoot. So a system where everyone's involved, a system where everyone's touching the basketball, but we know the offense and everything is running through them. Now defensively, how are they going to guard pick-and-rolls? Um, how Are they going are they going to switch things with those guys? Demarcus, the farther he gets away from the basket, he's going to struggle a little bit, but he's lost weight, it sounds like. He's, he's very focused. So we'll have to wait and see. But like you said, I mean, you're talking about two of the most talented guys we have in the league. I don't care at any position. I mean, Anthony Davis and Demarcus are special. Um, and now Alvin and his staff have to figure out a way to use all those guys and incorporate the rest. But shooting from the perimeter for that team with those type of post-up players obviously is key. Yeah, 20 years ago, I mean, Cousins and Davis would have been a front court. Any team in the league would have salivated oh, over. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but the way the game has changed, Vinny, can you can you have two, you know, basically seven footers uh, playing on the court together? Is is does the, the 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 evolution of the game allow that? I would probably, you know, when you say seven footers, I'd probably say no. But when you look at these two guys, they're both so versatile and so skilled. They can handle the ball. They can pass. They can shoot. They can post up. I mean, they can run. I mean, especially Davis can really run the court. They can catch lobs. They can throw lobs. I mean, they're not the normal seven footers. So that's why it's so intriguing because you're talking about guys seven, six, ten, eleven, seven feet that can do all those things. So the, 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 that position, that, that seven-footer, that's a rim protector and all these things, they're not those guys. They're rim protectors, but at the end of the day, they're basketball players. I mean, they're they're skilled like, you know, uh, three men and guards and things. So you got to, you know, you got to figure out a system where they can use those skills and take advantage of big guys. And the thing that's key for them, too, is they both can shoot from the outside. Mm. So you have to guard them, which is a huge advantage because now – that takes another defender not sagging off in the lane. You got cutters, you got things. They're, if you catch the ball at the elbow and you don't guard them, that's a that's a layup for those guys. They can shoot the basketball. Yeah, it should be fun uh, at the very least. Oh, Maybe it's not. Gonna, yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> but who they put around those guys to me will be key. I think they'll figure out. Those two guys will figure it out. How they will figure it out. But it's the rest of the roster that they have to be strong with and be smart with in terms of building around those guys because. If I'm them guys, if I'm them too, that's what I'm looking at. Okay, what are, who are we playing with, and how good can we actually be? 
Well, they could use a healthy Eric Gordon, the guy they had a couple of years ago. I mean, the Eric Gordon oh. of last year would have been great on New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, no question. I love Eric. Coached him in the Clippers. Great guy and had a great year in six man. So he deserves it. He worked hard. I went to training camp there last year, and uh, he was he was ready to go. Yeah. Well, Vinny, I appreciate it, man. I know you're headed out to Vegas uh, this week. I hope to catch up with you out there. And uh, thanks for uh, taking some time to join me here on the pod. Anytime, but I hope to see you out there, and uh, we'll talk soon. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Billy King and Vinny Del Negro for joining the show. A reminder, you can download Archive Podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.